On this podcast, we share a lot of stories and often the mental health aspect of the work we do creeps in. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or even overwhelmed, please consider visiting our sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. And they even have therapists who specifically work with first responders. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. You can talk to your therapist in a private and online environment at your convenience. Many first responders work rotating and often odd schedules, so this format makes it really easy to talk to someone when it's convenient for you. If you don't click with your therapist, you can request a new one at no additional charge anytime. Join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com backslash roadie. That's BetterHelp.com slash roadie, R-O-A-D-I-E. You can also find the link in the show notes. If you put a couple of first responders together in a room, something interesting happens. Before too long, they'll begin sharing stories. They're not trying to one-up each other, they're simply finding common ground. I was fortunate enough to serve my community as a paramedic and a firefighter for over 25 years. As you can imagine, during that time, I acquired my fair share of stories about the incidents and the calls I was involved in. I thought I might write a book, but then I decided sharing these stories collectively in a podcast would give anyone listening an insider's view into the work that first responders do every single day. These are the stories of the men and women who courageously serve the public or as I like to call them, Stories from the Road. Well, welcome back to Stories from the Road. I'm your host, Phil Klein. And this evening, I have the opportunity to speak with Chief Flagler, who has an interesting story and does some really interesting work. So I'm excited for him to share his story with you. So Chief, I'll turn the mic over to you and let you share your story from the road. Well, every once in a while in your life, you find yourself in a place where you never believed that you would be. And for me, that place was. in a parking garage in Nairobi, Kenya. Probably the most interesting part of the fact that I was in a parking garage was that it was also the airport arrivals terminal for the city of Nairobi. The actual terminal had burned down by fire about six months uh, prior to my arrival in Kenya. I found myself in Kenya because I'd been invited by a friend who was on a very unique mission, which was to train firefighters. Uh, The city of Nairobi, Kenya is the size of Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas has about 80 fire stations, um, and Nairobi, Kenya has two. Uh, The firefighters there uh, in Nairobi number about 150 at the time, um, where you would find thousands of firefighters in uh, Texas. Uh, My friend had been to Kenya a year before on a church trip. He was drugged by his wife and didn't want to go. And um, like all firefighters do, we always try to find the local firehouse and just make a connection. And so on a lark, he did the very same thing in Nairobi, and he met the firefighters there. And suffice to say, they didn't have a lot. Really, they had nothing. And he met with them and talked to them, and they had a list of needs 
but their list of needs was for knowledge and not for stuff. And it moved my friend so much that he came home. He was a uh, fire chief in suburban uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, and he quit his job. And he started a nonprofit called Africa Fire Mission. And um, we've been going to Africa ever since to train firefighters. And it's been a joy. And it's been a shock to the system on more than one occasion, like the night I found myself in this parking garage, now airport arrivals terminal in Nairobi. Um, I was totally out of my element. You might imagine being, uh, I'm a Caucasian fellow, and when you're in uh, Nairobi, Kenya, you are in a s- extreme minority. And I just kind of got in the flow of traffic of people and the crush of people, and everything smelled different and it sounded different. It was nighttime. I was uh, jet lagged. I'd flown, you know, 24 total hours around the world. Um, and I was just kind of following the people in front of me. I was part of a very small team of firefighters, but we were with some other Americans. And I found my way, pushed onto this bus, and I was sitting in the bus, and I didn't know the person next to me, and I'm holding my suitcase in my lap. And um, we roll out of the uh, airport uh, parking lot onto the highway, and next to the highway is two zebra grazing. And I realized then, holy cow, I'm in Africa. Uh, and it was such a, it was such an amazing experience. I went there to train firefighters and I've done a lot of firefighter training. I've been a firefighter at the time for about 20 years. And I'd been a training uh, officer for a large fire department a municipal fire department and, uh, trained other firefighters along the way. I've, I've trained thousands of firefighters and I've, I've never really felt uncomfortable with that environment. Um, I enjoy training because it makes you Uh, work a little bit harder and learn what you're training. Um, But I was terrified. (laughs) I was totally out of my element and I didn't know uh, what the information I had would have any bearing on what I would do. And um, I took all that to bed with me that night. And I did sleep because I was exhausted. I'd been awake for 30 some hours, but um, I was, I was really confused. I didn't know what to make of the next few days. Um, And the next Day, I found myself in the fire station of one of two in Nairobi. And um, luckily for me, firefighters are firefighters. And we met and we started to talk. And I did. I had this huge amount of information that I brought, really, because we didn't know what we were teaching. Um, we'd made some preliminary contacts. This was our very first endeavor of this type where we were going to deliver some training content. Um, we didn't know what our audience would be like. Um, and it turned out we had about 20 firefighters and, um, my friend Andrew was teaching with me and my friend David, who was the, uh, the guy who left his job to start this whole endeavor. Um, and we brought our information with us and, you know, they tell you when you go to a foreign country, what the language is going to be. And we're lucky that Kenya, the official language is English. So, um, you think, well, they're English speakers. I'm an English speaker. We'll just talk. And uh, quickly, you find out that culture is a really different thing. And even though we had a lot of the same words, um, there was a lot of things that we didn't understand about one another. And um, the Africans were a little bit nervous. They were distrustful of us because um, we were foreigners. Um, We were white people. And, you know, they were not that far removed. Uh, Certainly they and definitely their parents had lived in a culture of uh, colonialism. And, you know, it was a different environment. Um, So they were exceedingly polite, but they were unsure about us um, until we started teaching. And um, then the questions started. And 
it turned out I had more questions for them than they ever had for me. And most of my questions revolved around, how do you even do this? How do you, how do you fight this fire? And they would start to tell these amazing stories about, you know, coming across an industrial fire in a plant, a paint factory. Um, and they told us how they fought this fire with four fire engines and about 20 people. Um, you know, a job that in the United States would take in 200 firefighters and 40 pieces of apparatus easy. And it just did the best they could at all times. Um, we learned a lot about their ingenuity and about their kind of um, desire to do the right thing. And probably what was most interesting about all of that was that the public didn't see it that way. Um, a look at the fire engines in Nairobi and you see that they are um, surrounded in um, cages. And the cages are there because the citizens throw rocks at the fire department. You see, in the United States, a firefighter is seen as a hero. They're not really seen as a government worker, even though we are. We work for the government, but we're not really seen that way. But in Kenya, they are. And the people are, they're frustrated with the government. You know, there's a lot of need and not a lot of resources. And when they see the firefighters, they think that they're part of this um, government that is not working well. And so they react in anger sometimes and they throw rocks and they cut their hoses. They threaten the firefighters. So the firefighters are often demoralized. And um, what we took from that was it was more important for us to talk about um, the things that made us um, proud of our jobs. Uh, we talked a lot about the things that made us want to work and want to serve. And we asked them a lot of questions about the very same. How do you, you know, how do you how do you get by? How do you make it when somebody is so critical of you? And we offered a ton of encouragement. Out, out of that grew um, the way that we train going forward. Uh, we've been on dozens of trips overseas into several African nations, and we partner with some great mission partners on the ground there. And we've learned a lot more about culture and we've learned about kind of African culture, how to ask maybe the right questions that would help us just understand each other better. And we use a tool called CHE, which is community health education. Some people might know it as community health evangelism. And really, it's a problem-solving model. So when I arrive in your country, I'm not this big American with all the answers. Really, I have none of the answers. I just maybe have some information that would help you. And so we ask some questions and we try to determine what is the problem that the African brothers and sisters uh, face. And we ask about that problem, and then we maybe show some examples. Well, here's what we might do in the States. What, what does that look like here? And we find some really unique um, and great examples of you know, ingenuity. They come up with some great ideas. And all of that involves us, you know, the guests, the Americans, letting go of kind of our desire to be in charge. And really, we turn into listeners, and we try to empower the people that we're serving because we're going home and they're going to stay there and fight fire. Um, which brings me back to my first trip. And it wasn't till the end of the week that we really started to figure that out. And we started getting to know each other better. And we started to share some laughs and some jokes. And finally, one of the firefighters closed the door to the classroom that we were sitting in. And he said, all right, here's what we really want to know. And everybody gathered around and, um, it was almost exactly like sitting in my kitchen table at the firehouse in the United States. You know, my firehouse that I work in right now has a great big long kitchen table and it's a place where the firefighters always find themselves. Uh, we gather, we tell stories, um, 
we seek advice. We do everything that we can think of as a, like we would as a family because we think of ourselves that way as a family. And that firehouse kitchen table is very important. And it is really a, and signifies the culture of the fire service and certainly my fire department where I work now. And it is a tremendously important place. It's a place where not everybody belongs. It's for people that do that job day in and day out and suffer sometimes and succeed others. Uh, but that fire service kitchen table, that firehouse kitchen table is really important. And I realized in that moment on that very first trip that we had finally figured out that firehouse kitchen table environment right there in Nairobi, Kenya, of all places. And it made my own firehouse kitchen table very precious to me. But it also made me understand that the importance of that fire service culture is a gift that we can bring to firefighters around the world, especially in places where they don't have the culture. And um, while the information that we give is state-of-the-art and top-notch and the training that we put on, we'd like to think is really unique, the most important part of that to us is bringing that culture and that encouragement to firefighters that don't receive it like we do in the United States. So, Chief, tell me how many uh, how many guys go over on a trip and how often you head over to Africa to do this training? Uh, our very first trip, we had three of us that went. And uh, now when we go to our biggest partners in Kenya, we take a team of about 20 at any given time. You know, you had talked a little bit about the fire trucks and that they have cages on them. But what type of equipment are they are they using? Is it comparable to what we would use in the United States or is it real old stuff? What, what do they have? Fire equipment used in Africa comes from a variety of sources. Uh, most of it started off as British or European fire equipment, um, but they have stuff from Japan in some countries um, and a lot of European stuff in others. It really just depends on where you are. Almost every place is very under-resourced and the stuff they have is quite old. What about uh, what about gear? You know, we have bunker gear and we have hoods and helmets and lights and radios and all that sort of stuff. What's What is, what is that equipment like for them? Uh, we have a great selection of pictures uh, that we keep of firefighters in Africa battling blazes wearing flip-flops. Uh, they have almost no equipment. Uh, we started an initiative here because in the United States, a firefighter's gear is only good for 10 years, even though it might have a lot of serviceable life left in it. So we ship Connex boxes of fire equipment to Africa at least once a year um, with hundreds of sets of PPE that can't be used in the States, but it's perfectly usable. And um, we give that to the African firefighters. So when you're over there, do you fight fire alongside them or are you strictly there to train? We are strictly there to train. Uh, every once in a while, we find ourselves in a situation to try to make a fire or two. The Africans worry about us very much, especially if they're going into a, um, they call them a slum community. We would call it a settlement community. Um, they worry about us a lot. We're not particularly worried. Everybody's always been great to us, but they worry about us. So when they get those settlement fires, they, they are adamant that they don't want us to go. But um, we've made a few fires here and there. Do you guys bring over your own gear or do you just pick up what they have? It depends on the nature of what we're teaching. Um, I just came back from Malawi in 2021 and I did bring my fire gear. Um, I was only able to bring, wear it in a couple of environments because um, they had nothing and it would have embarrassed them if I'd put on my fire gear. Even though I was leaving it behind, it was too old to, for me to use in the States. But 
we kind of depends on what we're doing. What about uh, emergency medical services? Is that part of the fire services over there like it is in the United States or is it separate? It depends on the nation and the environment. A lot of places it is a separate um, government agency, usually like a health ministry would perform the EMS function, but there's lots of places where that model is broken. It certainly exists on paper. And then you see some nonprofits like St. John's Ambulance, which is a pretty famous um, provider of nonprofit emergency medical services around the world. They're pretty uh, prevalent in Africa. So if I put you on the spot, you know, on this podcast, we like to tell stories, um, stories about fire, stories about emergency ambulance calls, that sort of thing. Give me a story from Africa. Give me something that, you know, would just, uh, from your experience over there, something that the listeners would really, can really dig their teeth into. <laughs> so just to think of like how, how much life is unusual. I was at the, I was at a luxury hotel and I was meeting with um, some corporate partners that actually had a business presence in Africa. I was, it was in Nairobi and we were in a luxury hotel. It was a beautiful hotel. We were on the roof at a bar that had a pool. Um, they had music playing. They had the fancy drinks. They had the waiters in white coats. It was, it was luxury. I was completely out of place, by the way. Um, I still had mud on my boots from the slum community. I'd been uh, walking through like six hours before, but it was beautiful. And I um, looked over the shoulder of the gentleman that I was speaking to, and uh, I could see a column of smoke. And the column of smoke got bigger and bigger and bigger, and eventually, of course, it went away. And I got back to the rest of my team. Um, I was trying to get us some more cash, and they were um, doing the teaching. And they all had these wide eyes, and they said, we just made the most amazing fire. And it was a, they were at the top of the hill in this um, near a settlement community. And they were doing some teaching of teachers in a private school that exists to serve the kids in that community. And a fire had broken out down the hill. The, the settlement community went down a big hill. And so the students and a couple of firefighters and our American firefighters all raced down the hill to this fire. And the guy that went first was an African firefighter. We had just taught some civilian rescue techniques. And he was able to grab an elderly woman that was uh, unable to escape the fire and carry her to safety using techniques he had learned like an hour before. And, um, they started the firefighting effort and they knew how to call the fire brigade, which is something that not every African knows even how to do is how to call for help. And the fire brigade came and they had this really tremendously successful fire attack, um, especially based on the conditions there. And it was really exciting for our team to see some things that they had imparted, some knowledge they imparted be used immediately. Um, and they saved a life. Yeah, it's got to be pretty rewarding is, you know, they just learned it and then they were able to apply it. And I, I don't think it matters where you are when you can uh, apply knowledge like that, that quickly. It's got to be a very rewarding feeling. I would agree. And the fact that the Americans and the Africans worked together was something that really bonded them in the moment. And a lot of those guys are still friends today. So do you go back and visit the same groups or are you in different areas to do your training? How does that work? A little of both. We love to return, but we only return if they're willing to do a little bit more than they did last time. Our goal is to work ourselves out of a job. Um, so when we go to Kenya now, we're just there to kind of help out and maybe teach a little bit, but they do most of the instruction. They have all of their own they, people that can teach. 
subjects they want to learn about. So we really appreciate that. And then some places we go where we're invited to a new place. And usually, you know, it's either word of mouth or we're um, partnering with some other kind of social service mission type organizations. And they notice that firefighting is something that they can do. We have to have a little bit of infrastructure. Um, We're not really good at serving in places where they have no firefighting capability. We like to take when they have some kind of fire service operation and then we can help that grow. So I'm going to ask you one final question, and I think I know where this is going to take you, but tell me, tell me what's in it for you. Tell me what you get out of this, out of these trips, out of teaching, you know, these individuals how to fight fire. Tell me, tell me what that does for you. Well, I went into it with a sense of adventure. Um, It was something I'd certainly never done. I'd never been to Africa and uh, never taught in those unusual environments. And so I kind of started into it looking for that adventure. Uh, but when you meet the people in Africa and you see um, how genuine they are, even though resource-wise they have virtually nothing, um, it just made it touched me in such a way that I just want to be around those folks as much as possible. And whatever I have in my heart, especially my knowledge or my excitement for my job, I like to bring with me and try to share. Well, that that's about what I expected to hear. I I, I know as a, as a as a brother firefighter, you know, I, we always get more out of what we give. So I, I kind of expected that as an answer from you, just just listening to you during this this conversation, and and I thank you for taking the time and, and sharing this. This is certainly unique. Um, I remember when I when I met a member of your team, I had never heard of this before. Uh, and just real quick, is there a trip coming up? If somebody that's listening to this podcast is interested in, in joining your group, are they able to do that in a relatively short amount of time? What's that process like? Yeah, we do have an application process for people that want to come with us. We want to make sure that um, you would be a good fit for our team. And we have different types of teams. Um, and we want to make sure that it's something that you really would be comfortable with. All that information is available on our website. We have four trips scheduled in 2022. Um, The first one is going to leave here in May, going to Malawi. Um, And then we're going to Kenya in November. And we were had a trip scheduled to the Ukraine. And obviously um, that's not going to, that's not going to work for us. So we'll be back in Kenya and we're kind of working out some details there. And then our fourth trip is one that's probably going to be to Zambia. They're a regular partner with us as well. And we're just kind of ironing out some of these post-COVID travel details. So that's my story. Um, And I'd like everybody listening to be part of my story. We go to Africa all the time. So if you're a firefighter, we'd love to invite you with us. But if you're not a firefighter, we want you to be part of our story as well. And we're always doing stuff to support the firefighters in Africa and maybe some other partners that help us teach people about burn prevention education. All of that can be found on our website, which is africafiremission.org, or you can check us out on Facebook at Africa Fire Mission. Well, sounds good. Well, Matt, again, thank you for thank you for taking the time to share this story with us, and I hope you'll come back and maybe tell some stories from the United States next time. Yeah, that'd be great. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you're listening on. Stories from the Road is a Brown Dogs Media Group production. This one-man show is written, edited, and produced by Phil Klein. If you have a story you would like to share, please contact us at storiesfromtheroadpodcast at gmail.com. To learn more about this or other podcasts we're producing, please visit browndogsmedia.com. 
Thank you for listening.